taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. Yours truly, Brian Chilton and Curtis Avalo. Starting off with the word of the Lord coming from Acts chapter 1, verse 9. It says, And he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took Jesus out of their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Curtis, we're continuing with our guest, the 80s and 90s television theme. Okay. Which one do you think this one is? Well, I was going to say Night Rider, but it's not. Think helicopters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Magnum P.I. Nope. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Getting closer. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh. Come on, man. I know it, but I can't, I can't say it right now. I'm thinking Magnum P.I. again. It's like not Magnum P.I. It howls um, in the air. I give up. <laughs> it's Airwolf. Oh! <laughs> yeah! Okay. Yeah, howls in the air. <laughs> oh my goodness. Jeez. Boy, talk about the hit. Talk about the hint that said, hey, right here is the name. Yeah, jeez. I'm sorry, man. I, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why I thought Magnum P.I. But it's like, no, 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 Magnum P.I. is totally different. I know that one. I know that one well. Well, you know, it's interesting. Some of the some of the songs sound very similar. So, for instance, the Star Wars theme sounds very similar to the Superman theme, the one back in the 80s. It has mm-hmm. kind of a similar tone. Not exactly alike, but it's, it's, it's kind of a similar... Melody, so yeah. I think Magnum P.I. in that one sounds a lot alike, too, and uh, Knight Rider and all yeah. those. Yeah, well, Knight Rider, I mean, it would have had the, it would have had the, the sound of the, the lights going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So, anyway, Brian, um, you know, we've had some pretty good stuff going on, you know, this whole... I just, I, I really want to kind of encourage our listeners, encourage in, in, and ask for prayer for for this for this team that we can grow and grow in unity and grow in information and and pray for God's blessing upon this upon this uh, ministry to keep keep going in the same direction it's going because, um, my word, we are uh, we got some powerful people hitters on there that we're just going to end up having this ministry is going to grow in multiple different ways we kind of have some ideas and some things that we want to explore and do and we're kind of just going to wait for god to open those doors even though we got the the ideas we just need to bring them out and and kind of maybe even you know need some prayer on that stuff that that god guides us in the right direction of where we're going 
Absolutely, Curtis. And, you know, be much in, as Curtis said, be much in prayer for the ministry because we're hoping to roll out some, some new things. Um, hopefully, maybe even as early as the end of this year, maybe next year. Um, but uh, getting through this, once you get through the dissertation process, this this PhD thing, uh, the goal is, you know, at least God willing, if everything uh, continues as it's going, I, I would, I think that there's there's some things that we can roll out that really will elevate this ministry in a powerful fashion. In fact, we were talking about this prior to the podcast, so stay tuned, folks. There's a lot of good stuff coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I just, I honestly cannot believe we are this far into our, into our series, or into our season of, uh, season five. I mean, we're episode 21. Can you believe that? I mean, we're, (laughs) Jiminy Crickets, man. You talk too much. (laughs) Curtis, you're beginning to sound a lot like my wife. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so so today we're can, can, be can i say one thing i don't mean to cut you off i just gotta yeah. share this one thing i got laryngitis no, one time and my wife celebrated <laughs> best time of my life <laughs> that's the longest time he's ever sh- think about that think about that you know um you know john the baptist's dad you know when when he was told that he was gonna have he was gonna have they were gonna have a baby and he's like yeah whatever and he's like how will I know he says to the angel how will I know dude you got an angel standing right in front of you telling you you're about <laughs> to have it you're gonna have a child in nine months right and 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 and, and he's like how will I know and the angel's like all right fine you're just gonna stay shut up this will be a blessing for your wife. <laughs> For nine months, <laughs> I bet she. I bet she did get a lot of rest that time outside of being pregnant. But. <laughs> pretty, pretty funny when you think about it. It's like, uh, yeah. So I mean, God has a sense of humor. If you look at Scripture in such a way that you kind of see some of that, man, there, there's some of that stuff that's like, all right, that's just funny. That's just straight up funny, you know. But yeah. So anyway, we've got on on this, we're part nine in our Christology series, and that's been rolling along really well. And I really, I really am impressed with the amount of information we've been able to kind of put into. And I know some of them have gone longer, you know, an hour, hour and a half, you know, somewhere's in there. But uh, the amount of information that we're putting into this is, is intense. It's amazing how much we put in. So, um this one here is the ascension of Jesus, and, you know, this kind of helps verify all of our belief, you know? This is the ground, this is the this is the grounding, this is the cement base, the concrete base of where, where we base our Christi- Christianity from. Yeah. You know, and the ascension is one of those things that, you know, we talk about the resurrection, and we know that's, that's critically important. But, you know, I, I guess I have struggled more with the ascension aspect because there are so many question marks. Did, did they follow Jesus was it when, he, when he was taken up? Did he did they just get smaller and smaller in the air as he went up? And, and you know, 
does he keep going in the one direction or does he just go into like a spiritual dimension or something there are many questions and i don't know that we have the answer to to those questions uh quite honestly but there is something unique and dynamic and in fact this actually comes in and actually has a link with our next podcast, our final regular podcast. We have two special ones. We're going to talk about two additional things we need to talk about with uh, with the ministry of Jesus, and we'll talk about Christology. But we're talking about the second coming next week. That gets into some eschatology. Well, actually, the ascension of Jesus has some eschatological aspects to it that you're going to find out as we go through the podcast today. Yeah. I mean, just imagine Peter and the boys standing there watching him go up, and their jaws are just on the <laughs> ground. And, and see, here's another here's another humorous thing that God does, okay? He sends two angels, and he's like, hey, what are you guys looking at? And, and they're like, well, didn't you just see that? <laughs> he went straight up, you know, and, uh, you know, they're like, well, what are you doing here? Get to work. Exactly. Go do what he said, and it's like it's like if you're watching that, if you were on the sidelines behind a rock watching this whole thing happen, it, you'd be laughing because it's like that. You just there's some comedy there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you. So, as far as the ascension, what are we talking about when we speak of the ascension of Jesus? Let's, so, I guess get that basis going. Yeah, so, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the scripture as we go along, but we're talking about at, after a period of time, Jesus was with the disciples. He took them to the Mount of Olives, and he essentially uh, was taken up on a cloud uh, from, away from them to to the very presence of God. And, and we're, we're told that uh, he, uh, he, he sat by the right-hand side of God, the Father, uh, which there's some things about that we're going to talk about as we go through the podcast, important things about that. There's some things that he did even in the process of uh, after the crucifixion going up to the Father. So, But this really dramatically marks a different phase of ministry. Now, we know... And let me just say here, there's a period of time, we'll talk more about this in detail here in a few moments, but there's a period of time that Jesus continuously was seen by the disciples, that he presented himself, met with the disciples uh, for a period of time. The ascension marked a dramatic end to that. Now, we know it doesn't mean that he stopped being seen at all because we know that Saul of Tarsus, later known Paul, uh, that he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. We know that there's other people who've had visions of Jesus, the risen Jesus, uh, throughout the 2,000 years that the church has been in existence. We know that continues, but it's not nearly as frequent as it was. And there's something that comes after the ascension, 10 days later that happens, that marks a new dispensation of God's moving with humanity, and that is the infusion of the Holy Spirit of God in the hearts and lives of individuals. And so, uh, you know, even though there is a denomination called Pentecostals, quite frankly, as New Testament Christians, we're all Pentecostals in the sense that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit or that there is a that that is a that, that Holy Spirit has made a connection with their lives in some sorts. Now, we won't get into the nuances between the different beliefs and all that, but 
But the point is, is that we really are all Pentecostals in that sense that we have, uh, there's a new dispensation of God's ministry through people, and this one is the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But the ascension marks a dramatic change between the ministry of Christ and 10 days later after the, after the ascension when Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit uh, really moves in and through the hearts and lives of individuals. By the way, let me say that there's going to be another theological uh, series we're going to do called Pneumatology, pneuma, uh, pneumos meaning spirit. And so there's a whole theological study on the Holy Spirit of God and... Um, a lot of times people put this off way down the road, but I'm kind of thinking that, uh, you know, God willing, uh, we, this might be one of the next big uh, theological studies we might want to cover because it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of people doing that these days. Well, and there's, you got, you got both ends of the spectrum. You got people that, that, that are, um, you know, they might be spirit filled, but they sure are very, you could say, um, very hesitant to, to have any sort of spiritual influence. And then you got others that are on the other end of the spectrum that, yeah, it, they get a little radical. So, <laughs> um, I I just like we've talked about a lot of stuff. I I believe it's somewhere in the middle there. Um, I do believe it leans a little more towards you know um, the Pentecostalism that 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 I believe that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. I believe that there are gifts. I believe there are things, and I think it's important that we pay attention to some of that stuff and these types of things as we're going through. Um, you know, this type of, of work as we go through these series like this, I think it really opens up opportunity for us to really show a scriptural basis for what we believe, how we stand, and where we are. And that's why I was saying earlier, this this series is kind of the bedrock, the, the concrete of where Christianity is based out of. Amen. So... So what details uh, do we know about the ascension, ascension of Jesus from Scripture? So there are three passages of Scripture that really, uh, really heavily emphasize the, uh, the ascension of Jesus. And I'll be honest, as I was preparing uh, for this study, I was surprised to see, or actually had, had seen it before, but never had really paid attention to it, that there's actually a passage of Scripture in Mark, the last of Mark's Gospel, chapters, uh, chapter 16, verse 19. And uh, let, let me just say, let me just here's the elephant in the room, that verses 9 through 20 of Mark chapter 16 are not found in the oldest um editions of, of uh, in manuscripts in uh, in Mark, of Mark's gospel now there are a lot of question marks as to what happened some people believe that maybe verses uh, 9 through 20 were lost and maybe reattached to the gospel later on uh, there's some people who believe that um, Mark may have died before he was able to finish the gospel. And that's a good possibility that that could be the case. Um, 
And some people even believe that maybe he intentionally left it at verse 8 in a sense of mystery because back in verse 8, you see that it ends by saying they, uh, well, let me just go say the, the women see, um, the the angels at the tomb, they say, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. So there's the resurrection happened, and they go on to say, go tell the disciples and Peter. That indicates that there's going to be a special visitation of Jesus to Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out of the tomb. So there's the anticipation that he's going to meet with the disciples. That's already there. The resurrection, that the appearances are already implied. They just don't really mention it. So it, that means that there's something there. Maybe Mark died. Maybe he mm-hmm. just left it a mystery. But uh, there, there is, there does seem to be as early as. Now Bruce Metzger writes that as early as the first part of the second century that this addition was added to the gospel, and it may be even earlier than that. I kind of believe, and this is just my opinion, so take it what is, for what it's worth, I kind of have always had the assumption that maybe Luke added this to, to Mark's gospel. That makes me kind of inclined to believe that maybe Mark died before he was able to finish it. Maybe something happened to him. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he wasn't able to finish it for whatever reason. Because if you look at... Um, if you look at some of the details of this story, it really matches Luke's gospel. For instance, verses 12, it says, in, in, in this, After this he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country. Well, in Luke's gospel, Luke is the only, only gospel that records Jesus' appearance to the two men on the road mm-hmm. to Emmaus. Mm-hmm. No other gospel right. reports yep. that. And so uh, he talks about some other things here, reclining at the table. We're talking about they appeared to 11. Uh, they, they re- he rebuked their unbelief. This is actually pointing to uh, John's gospel and hardness of heart uh, because they didn't believe that, uh, and so on and so forth. And so, But in verse 19, Luke's gospel, Luke is really the one who emphasizes the ascension. And it's interesting that here in verse 19 says, So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven at sat down and sat down at the right hand of God. So I believe that the Spirit preserved this text, even though it may not have been written by Mark. I think it was written by Luke or someone else. I think it's a, it's a summarization of what you find in the other Gospels. So I have no reason to deny this being part of the Scripture and, and its involvement in the Gospel of Mark. Even if Mark didn't write it, I think it, it deserves to be there. So anyhow, all that being said, Mark 19, 16, 19 mentions the ascension of Jesus. If you also look at Luke's yeah. Gospel, Luke 24... Uh, verse 50 through 53, uh, it says, and the end of the gospel says, and he, Jesus, led them out uh, to the vicinity of, Bethany, excuse me, vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands. This, this is around the Mount of Olives area. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now, here's, a, here's something you don't find in some of the other passages. This blessing was most likely a priestly blessing because he uses right. the word anathero, 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 excuse me, anathero, which echoes a priestly blessing given in Leviticus 9.22. 
And so most likely Jesus gave a priestly What was that? May the Lord bless you and keep you. Absolutely. So it may have been that he had that priestly prayer given to him, and the priestly prayer kind of even the, the hand signal kind of looked almost like the Vulcan thing uh, from Star Trek, except it was kind of it had both hands together, made like a triangle in the middle, and the Vulcan sign on either side. But the priestly blessing, he possibly gave that to them, as was mentioned by the word and a Pharaoh, uh, yeah, Pharaoh, and so uh, connecting that back. But then the biggest reference we find is in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and here we look at verses, let's look at the verses 6 through 11. Uh, 6 through 11 says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, now we've, we've, we go back in verse 1, um, so where was it? Luke says, I wrote in the first narrative Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. This word is the word tekmerion. It's a legal term. It means proofs that would be acceptable in a court of law, beyond reasonable doubt, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now let's go down to verse verse 6. He says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were, in Judea and Samaria, the outskirts of their vicinity, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And after this he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of, them, him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing in the heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes, two angels, stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up at heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So let me mention three things here. There are three things that this passage of Scripture mentions. One, that Jesus performed many infallible proofs, tekmerion. I believe that Jesus may very well have gone back to business as normal in Galilee, in Jerusalem, even that he may have been healing people, he may have been working miracles. John tells us that he ate fish, broiled fish, uh, proving that he was more than just a ghost and he was more than just a physical person. He had a spiritual resurrected body. We also see, secondly, that this these encounters happened over a period of 40 days. 40 days. We're going to talk about the number 40 in a few moments. But it happened over, it wasn't just a one-time event. They saw him numerous times over the course of 40 days. Now, that, that means he, they seen him every day because we're told in some of the Gospels that between the appearance of Jesus to the ten and the, the appearance, his appearance to the ten plus Thomas, uh, that there was a period of about a week there in between. But nonetheless, uh, he made appearances for 40 days. They saw him numerous times. Uh, crowds, large crowds of people saw him. And so, one, they, he, he performed proofs. Two, he was seen for, for 40 days. And three, he told them to wait in Jerusalem to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. 
these three elements are, are unique in the story that Luke provides and shows us some details that are very important to the story of Jesus' life uh, and, and what the ascension was and what it was even doing. Again, bringing that new dispensation that God was going to move through the Holy Spirit in the inner person, as Jeremiah talks about writing the law on a person's heart. For the very first time in history, that became possible because of the infilling, indwelling Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, that's... um when you brought that up as far as like uh legally binding in court um you know that's you know that that's that's powerful when you actually start looking at that it's not like i um really super encourage everybody to do a word study but word studies are helpful in uh when you start or are curious or looking at scripture and that's that's powerful just in itself when you figure out what 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 was being said there luke was saying in in greek what was how how he put that that's powerful well as dr kevin king said you know uh he said that when you look at about uh, english translation like you know english english translations we have it's it's like watching an old analog black and white television but when, yeah, you, totally. when you start going into the original languages, it becomes like a high-def, uh, high-def 4D, yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you call those big screens, uh, IMAX theater type of thing. It really makes it pop into whole new color dimensions and, and things of that nature yeah. because of the depth even of totally. the Greek language. It's, it's, yeah. so, so for instance, as you were talking about the, the Technirion, the convincing legal proofs that Jesus performed. It's not just that he did a few parlor tricks, or it's not that he did a few card games and say, hey, can you guess which card's on top? Uh, He performed some very powerful deeds that were beyond rationale, beyond reasonable doubt. That's powerful stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, so even though... uh, even though the number hit number forty, um, recorded as if it is or was real history, what spiritual significance does the number forty hold? So here again is, and it's kind of like what your article was talking about, Curtis. Your last one, we're talking about the Aristotelian, uh, not um, not Aristotelian. I'm sorry, um, Augustinian. I'm guess <laughs> philosopher <laughs> mixed with a theologian. Augustinian approach. Uh, it's late. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to blame that. It's the lateness of the hour. But the Augustinian approach, we want to start with a literal interpretation. Yes, Jesus did appear for 40 days, literally, mm-hmm. to the disciples for a period of 40 days. But there's something spiritually significant about the number 40. It just as Augustine says, you start with a literal, then you look at some of the more spiritual d- dynamics of the passage of Scripture. So 40 usually represents the completion of an important time period. Sometimes the time period may be a time of testing. It may be something negative, or then again, it may be something positive. Uh, So, for instance, in Genesis 7-4, this was a negative time. Uh, It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, for the flood that happened in Genesis. Uh, Genesis 50, verse 3, 
Uh, we see that it took 40 days to complete a bombing, uh, the embalming process. That's another negative you know, aspect to the 40. In Exodus 24, 18, we see that Moses stayed with God 40 days and 40 nights on the on Mount Sinai when he received the law of God. Well, that's a positive thing. He was in the very presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, in Numbers 13, 25, we see the spies scouted for 40 days. Uh, in 1 Samuel 17, 16, the Philistines came for 40 days, and that was a negative thing. Uh, 1 Kings 19, 8, uh, we see that, uh, I believe it was Elijah maybe in that passage of Scripture, walked for 40 days, I believe. And we may need to go back and reference that and check that out. Um, Ezekiel had a sign prophet prophecy that he was to do where he was to lie on his side for 40 days, representing the judgment, uh, a certain aspect of the judgment that God was bringing to the people or a certain aspect of what was going on. Jonah 3, 4, uh, Jonah warned that Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days if they did not repent. So there again is a number 40. Mm-hmm. And in John, and excuse me, Luke four two, we're told that Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted by Satan for forty days in the wilderness. And also, we see that. Uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong here, Curtis, but the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, wasn't it, for forty years? Yeah, thirty. <laughs> yeah, it was a forty year. It was forty year total, but it, there was like um, thirty eight in wandering around and two more and doing something else yeah so so i can't remember now yeah so 40 in total 40 years when it should have only took him a few months it should have only taken him a few months it took him 40 years because of the rebellion uh so there's a negative jesus's temptation was a was a negative but then you have the 40 days that jesus spent with the disciples uh before being uh, uh, uh before ascending into heaven or assumed into heaven uh, that was a positive thing. So again, sometimes the number 40 can be a positive, sometimes it can be a negative, uh, but nonetheless we see it's a time of testing or a time of blessing that may happen over a, a, over a span of time. So a little over a month's time, a month and 10 days uh, is what you have for this 40-day period. And so it's that, that's what we see. There is a symbolic nature to it that Jesus... I mean, consider what was even going on this time. Jesus was going through the scriptures with them. He was giving them their, their marching orders. Uh, he was he was kind of debriefing them on some things and briefing them on other things, preparing them for the task ahead of them. And can you imagine what all the theological training that the disciples received in that forty day period, uh, hanging with the risen Jesus, you know, not just the reg, you know, not just um the Jesus as they had known. It was the same Jesus, but this one is the risen Jesus in his glorified body. Had to be absolutely amazing to be in the disciples' sandals in those days. Yeah. Just think about it though. Could you have could you imagine having Ezekiel as your as your neighbor? I mean <laughs> he's the one walking around with the prime pan over his face and <laughs> Isn't he the one that I mean, cooked just... uh, feces uh, in a pan? Yeah. Yeah, for 390 days. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that he would yeah. have made the best neighbor. <laughs> it's just, I mean, just some of the stuff is like, this is just weird. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, he didn't cook feces in the pan. He used that to fuel the fire that would yep. burn the, 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 the fire. Yeah, yeah, fuel the fire, yeah. 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 He would have made uh, an interesting, he would have been an interesting person. <laughs> Yeah. 
Like, but the powerful and, things yeah, he saw, just, though, yes. <laughs> yeah, God was revealing a lot of stuff for, through that. That's for sure. So we have some scripture. Did you want to? Did you want to go through some of that on that? Uh, no, well, we don't have to. Uh, you know, we th- okay. there may be a few things there, but you know, but uh, I, I think most of that's self-explanatory. I think we can we can probably roll them. Right. We, here in a few minutes, we've got a bunch of scriptures that we'll be plowing through, so that'll <laughs> that'll take a while to get right. through that. Right. Yeah. So, does the old te- uh, Old Testament mention ascension? Yeah, so there are two cases here. So, Curtis, I'll get you to read the first one, if you will. And the first one comes to us. Uh, there are two individuals who were ascended in the Old Testament. Uh, it wasn't quite exactly the way it happened with Jesus, uh, but it was pretty close. Uh, so the first one is this mysterious guy in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Uh, This guy by the name of Enoch, uh, later on in Jewish literature, uh, there was an apocryphal or actually pseudepigraphal book written. Uh, It said it it came from some oral traditions based upon his experiences. Could it be? Maybe. I mean, I mean... There was oral traditions that that went to, you know went down several generations, but I don't know that you can say with any certainty that's the case. But it is a very fascinating book, uh, the books of Enoch. If you get a chance to to read it, uh, very compelling. But let's take a look at Genesis five twenty one through twenty four. Yeah, so it says, when Enoch lived had lived sixty five years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. So, isn't it interesting that Enoch's life lasted 365 years and there's 365 days in a calendar year? I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but uh, it's very interesting, very interesting. So look especially at verse 24. We don't know a whole lot about this guy. And that's why in, in some of the literature this evoked such amazement and mystery about this guy. We know, yeah. Yeah, so, so he fathered Methuselah, who was the oldest living person in history. Uh, it was 900, what was it, 969 years that Methuselah lived almost a thousand years. Uh, many people believe that uh, because these were early humans, that uh, you know th- they hadn't been tainted by a lot of the processes and, and issues that happened that we deal with now. And maybe it was that they were able to live a lot longer back then than what they're able to now. Uh, you know, that's the going theory. Uh, but that's another podcast for another day. But anyhow, he he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God three hundred years as. Curtis said, had other sons and daughters, but he walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. Now, we're not told how God took him. We don't know what the process was, but it could have been something similar to an ascension that Jesus had. We just really don't know. But what we do know is he walked with God, and he was taken um, in a mysterious fashion. And that's really all we know about him. Very compelling figure, and 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 mystery and mystery like that creates an atmosphere for people to come up with all sorts of 
stories, theories, all those things. Absolutely. And so as as you were saying, you know, oral tradition as um as mysterious as Enoch's life is, oral tradition may have some some credence to it, but God didn't put it within the pages of the scripture. So That's it's right. worthwhile not um you're not not putting much weight on it as as what we sh- as what we could if it was in scripture. Right now, l- let me do say this: you're absolutely right because it is not canonical scripture at all, and it was never held by even uh, the early Christians to be canonical. But it is interesting that in Second Peter and Jude, you see a quotation from the first book of Enoch. Right. Uh, but I don't think. But but let's be honest: Paul quotes. Greek philosophers. Yep. Jesus alludes to yep. possibly even Plato in a few passages. I, mean, I don't have the uh, the here with me in front of me right now, but I know Paul. There, there's been books that shown how Paul references and alludes to things mentioned by Greek philosophers as well. They're not yep. saying yep. that those individuals that or what they're quoting is canonical, but they're saying that some of the things that they read as they're inspired by the Holy Spirit to read through these things, the the people who wrote these things, that is, and the apostles, they're taking the truths that's true. So truth is truth no matter who wrote it. Truth is truth no matter who says it. Right. Uh, but ultimately, the, right. ca- the canonical scripture is where uh, the revelation of God is, not in this mysterious pseudepigraphal uh, book of Enoch, but uh, you're right. It, that is, it is Enoch's life is very mysterious, and it definitely evokes a lot of questions in people's minds concerning uh, the things that happened with him. But um, let me take a look at our second one, and this was in Second Kings chapter two, verses one through twelve. Uh, this is uh, this is about the prophet Elijah. Very interesting guy. I'm very compelled mm-hmm. by the life. Oh, Elijah's life is very compelling to me. <laughs> Um, so yeah. the time had come now, this happened Elijah had seen great victory it's amazing to me he saw great victory on Mount Carmel Jezebel threatens him he runs and he becomes depressed he asks God to take him Yep. I mean to the point okay. that he's wanting God to take him he doesn't want to do this anymore but the time had come for the Lord to actually take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind we're told Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Elisha is Elijah's protege, his understudy. Stay here. The Lord is sending me on to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they both went down to Bethel. Was it the house of... uh, The house of God. Yeah, yeah. House Uh, of God or house of worship. I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> I think Beth doesn't. I think mean, it is the house of God. The, it doesn't Beth mean daughter. I okay. L. Yeah, L L is L mean. And L was God. Yeah. We'll have to look that up after the podcast. I see another conversation coming. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Beth Here we go. came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Jericho. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went on to Jericho. Uh, then the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho came 
to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord is sending me on to Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So 50 men from the sons of the prophets. So this can, keeps going on. Uh, he meets people who's telling him that, uh, that the Lord's going to take him and he doesn't want to listen. And so um, um, as they continued walking in verse 11, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up to heaven in the whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And when he could, no long, when he could see him no longer, he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two, picked up his mantle that had fallen off Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. So here again, we see Elijah, what an exit. What an exit Elijah had. Yeah. Uh, he's taken off in a chariot of fire with horsemen of fire. So there again, there's that assumption of Elijah. And uh, more detailed than the story of Enoch, uh, but very compelling in- yeah. compelling case that we see for the both of them. Yeah, and we, we know a lot about Elijah's ministry and what he did. But Elijah, just like Enoch, um, kind of came on the scene and then left. Boom! We don't know much about him. Mm-hmm. We also know we also don't know anything about Elijah's life prior to his ministry because he just comes on the scene. He's known as Elijah the Tishbite. We know that he wore camel's hair and he ate he ate he ate crickets. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 that's the case with a lot of the prophets. You know, we we don't know a whole lot. I mean, we know more about a few prophets than we do others, maybe like Isaiah and some of the major prophets. But Amos, it's the same way with Amos. We know that he was a tender of sycamores. Um, He's a good old boy. He's a good old boy. He's a country guy, and he comes out, and he says, I'm not the prophet or a son of a prophet, but I heard the voice of the Lord in the wilderness, and and I I obeyed. And... uh, He's the one that gave us such powerful words as prepare to meet thy God. That's a powerful passage of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we can kind of go back and historically look at, you know, uh, when when they say Elijah the Tishbite. Well, we can go back and look at, well, what were the... What were where where was this? What what is this? And is from the location of the of Tishbe, or was it the Tishbite tribe, or you know what was it? So we can actually there there's at least enough of a hint there that we can go back and do a a, a Bible study. You could mm-hmm. say of of what was that? What was that like? What was that about? So interesting, nonetheless. Absolutely. So does the New Testament mention? Uh, the ascension and other accounts. Yeah, and this is this is what really amazed me. Of all the things I studied in prepare, preparation for this podcast, this was what really amazed me, perhaps the most, is just how much the New Testament writers allude to the uh, the ascension of Jesus. So let's. For, I tell you what, Curtis, I'll read the first one, and which is Ephesians two five and six, and I'll ask you to flip over to Philippians two nine. So let me pull up Ephesians uh, 2, verses 5 through 6. And this one says, 
Let me go back to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him with him, and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So he doesn't specifically mention the ascension, but he's talking about the, the very place that Christ holds at the right hand of God the Father, which happened after the ascension took place. So he's ascended into heaven and now assumes the role of sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So, But we do see that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens uh, observing the fact that he was that he did ascend and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So let's take a look at Philippians two nine. So if Philippians two nine says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Amen. And that's part of that's an early creed, part of the Philippians hymn. And so that even at a very early time, and you're talking probably no later than three years after the time of Christ, very early on in the time. In the, in wow. The, yeah. I mean, because Paul wow. is receiving this stuff three years after Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, so three years time, no later than three years time, this early creed existed, this early hymn existed. And so... Even then, we see the the uh, ascension mentioned in that as well. Uh, the same thing here with First Timothy three sixteen. This also is an early hymn, and it says this: He, being Christ, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and here's the last phrase: taken up in glory. Mm-hmm. The ascension yeah. is mentioned even in this also, this this passage, which is also an early creed. So, uh, wow. Curtis, let's have you read F- Hebrews four fourteen, and then I'll look at Hebrews one thirteen. We'll be in Hebrews here for a little bit. Uh, so I'll look up Hebrews one. This is funny because this. 414 when i read it i mean i'm like oh yeah i've read it before and then you then you all of a sudden your eyes just focus and pop on one word and i'll, I'll read it with the with the with the with the uh act the accentuation of this word so uh since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. I just never put that one together. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> the passages we've read yeah, numerous passed times. through. Passed through. Yeah. Talking there about the ascension. And so, while you're in Hebrews, let's have you turn to 10, 13, but I'm going to go ahead and read 1, 13 here. Same deal with this one. This is actually a quotation uh, from uh, Psalm one ten one, which makes reference to this very thing. Uh, now, to to which of the angels has he ever said, "Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool"? So he's not talking specifically about the ascension, but he's talking about what happens, what happened after the ascension, and that is that Jesus assumed the we role, down. S- sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Which there's a lot of power in that that's imagery, which we'll talk about here in just a few moments. So let's take a look at uh, Hebrews ten thirteen. Yeah. yeah, it says waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. 
So there again, it's, it's referencing the, the thing that happened after the ascension, that he's sitting at the right hand of God, and here referencing back to Psalm 110, uh, which is talking about where Christ would assume would, would assume that position at the right hand of the Father. So First Peter, uh, so Curtis, I'll go ahead and have you start turning over to Revelation 5, verse 6, and verses 11 through 13, and get you prepped up on that. I'm going to go ahead and read a couple passages in First Peter. One is First Peter 1, 21. Uh, First Peter 1, 21, which says this, Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Gave him glory. That's where he's talking about the ascension. Uh, he raised him from the dead, gave him glory. Not only glorified him in the sense that he had defeated death, hell, and the grave, but glorified him in the sense that he ascended to heaven and is seated again at the right hand of God the Father. So let's take a look at First Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 22, uh, which says... Um, let me go ahead and make, read back up to verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here, here it is, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and power subject to him. So there again you see the ascension in that passage of Scripture. So what do we have there in Revelation 5 there, Curtis? Verse 6. There it says, uh, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Okay. So can you go back and read verse 6 for me one more time? I'm, I'm, I think I missed, missed that one. Okay. It says, It says, And between the throne... And the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing okay. as though it had been slain. There it is. There it is. Uh, so the imagery there is after Christ had ascended. Again, it's, it's showing the picture of the Lamb of God uh, standing at the right hand of the Father. Uh, so he is there even as John is having this vision. The Lamb is there representing Christ amid all of this other stuff that's happening. Uh, in Revelation chapter 11, we're told about two witnesses, and uh, we're not exactly sure. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. 1 through 13, uh, they, the, the beast comes after the two witnesses. Uh, they, they conquer and kill them, and for three and a half days the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. Great fear fell on those who saw them. Uh, and then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. So there's a lot of different interpretations as to who these two witnesses may be. But one of the things I think this shows us right. is that just as Christ ascended into heaven, so shall the people of God. Now we could even go to First Thessalonians and read the passage of Scripture there. That talk another early hymn that talks about that uh, at the trump of God, Christ will return, and then the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up. The parousia or rapture, however you want to say it, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will all actually experience our own ascension at some point in time, just as Jesus himself ascended. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Ain't that funny? We're all the times that we're in right now, and we're talking about this, and, and there's <laughs> so many different uh, theories out there right now that uh, it's like we got to kind of rein them back in just a little and hold them back just a little because, uh, man, yeah. So uh, talking about anyway, so yeah, it, it just I mean, it could mean that the two witnesses of the church. It could mean that there are two specific witnesses for the time of tribulation. You know that that's kind of the big going questions there. But yeah, like you said, I think the most important thing in these days in which we live is to focus on the fundamentals, and and that's actually what we're going to talk about next week when we talk about the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does it mean to say Jesus uh, sat down at the right hand of the Father? This was such a powerful imagery. It 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 was basically saying that it was talking about a regent, a a person of authority who was given who was able to sit down at the right hand of the Father or the right hand of the king means that they that person had all of the authority of the king. Uh, his his disposal. That means that he has the uh, power, the authority to execute, uh, to go about uh, with with the king's uh, with power. You know, with with the king's focus uh, or a focus. That's not the right word, but with with the authority of the king, he would be able to uh, execute these different things. And so this is this essentially right. means to to rein this back in. Uh, it essentially means that Christ has the authority. That God has given him to rule and reign. Uh, that that as the Father t- says that will will happen in the last days. Uh, that this kingdom we're told about in the teachings of Jesus of an already not yet kingdom. The kingdom is here. It's in the hearts and lives of of individuals. It's in the it's in the, um, the people of God who have who are born again. Um, but as far as the kingdom of God goes, we see that the kingdom is here in the sense that it's in our lives. But there's almost, and I'm not saying Jesus is promoting an Aristotelian or a Thomas Aquinas version of it, but I think there is some essence in that, that you see the difference between potency and actuality. And potentiality means that there's the potential of something to come actuality means is as it's coming about in real time. So, for instance, if I were to pause for a minute, I during that pause, I had the potential to say something. But as I'm speaking, it's, it's coming into actuality. And so what I mean there is that there's the potential that Christ could come any moment, and when he does, the full power and kingdom of God is going to come down and going to be ushered down, and then we understand the end game is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But the point is, is that some point in time, he's going to usher in this kingdom to the world. He also does something we see in the book of Hebrews and other passages of Scripture, is that Christ took the blood sacrifice, and as the high priest would do, he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of the whole, of the Ark of the Covenant. Christ, in like manner, uh, took that sacrifice, sprinkled the blood on behalf of each and every person who would believe on him. This is not just something, this is not coming just from a blood of a, lamb, a goat or a lamb or something like that. Christ didn't take this to a human temple. Christ took the sacrifice to the very throne room of God and made the ultimate sacrifice so that we are made right with God. He did something that no other priest could ever do. 
Amen. Well, and the other and the other um, part of that picture, as far as Jesus sitting down at the right hand of the Father, just Jesus sitting down. And just as you were talking about this, I want to kind of emphasize this: the priests, when they were in the when they were in the temple, the work was always having to be going on. They were having to be working and working and working. A priest never sat down until it was finished. Finished. And so it shows God, uh, Jesus as our high priest. And what does he say on the cross? Tetelestai. It is finished. That's right. Tetelestai. Yep. Yep. So that that's the work is done. The the work to to the work that was needed to get um, a a a open relationship between heaven and earth is now done. That work is over with. It's finished. That's powerful when we think about it. Absolutely. And this imagery of Jesus being the high priest, I mean, it, it's not, again, it's not as if he's yeah. offering yeah. it to a, a temple here on earth. He brought it to the very presence of the Father. He brought it to the very throne room of God and absolved our sins for good and all. I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of this agreement? <laughs> You got some Pentecostal coming out in me right now, bro. Go for it, man. <laughs> Preach it. Keep going. Man, that's powerful stuff. When we when we talk about that, it's just, yeah. Yeah, the sprinkling of the blood, the atonement, the all of that, the work being done, and, and, and Jesus saying, it is finished. And, and I thought there was some really good... Um, there was some really good emphasis on that in uh, in, in a movie that I watched, and, and I know there were some other things that were um, kind of you know a little bit off on it. But is the movie Risen? And mm, when yeah, yeah. when the when the when the uh, centurion is or the tribune is asking the centurion, he's like, "Well, what happened?" And the centurion looks at him and says. Uh, he just said, "It is finished," and and then you you think about it. So they might not have understood at that moment, but I'll guarantee you those things started clicking in their heads. All the people around at the at the base of the cross, people hearing that and understanding it, and knowing what was going on in the temple at that time, the high priest was 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 slaying the last lamb. And and at that moment he slayed the last lamb. He would sprinkle that, and he would say, "It is finished." Mm. At that same time, on that mountain, on the hilltop, Jesus, the high priest, that was actually qualified to do the job. Remember, we talked about how Caiaphas, the high priest, defiled himself by ripping his clothes. When he when they convicted Jesus as uh, when he said he was he was um, he agreed that he was God right and, and Caiaphas ripped his ripped his clothes right well he's ripping his priestly robe and he's defiling himself to be able to go into the temple and actually do the work for the people of the as the high priest and Jesus the high priest took that position over at that very moment and so when 
the high priest is saying it is finished he was really saying nothing but at that moment jesus saying that exact moment jesus saying on the cross it is finished as the high priest going and do the sacrifice for us amazing stuff when you put it together you know i kind of often wondered i stopped and wondered if you know they heard this and maybe it was going through their mind mm-hmm. but if they really understood what happened until the resurrection yeah. because you know of course again the deuteronomy passage of scripture says that anyone who is hung upon a tree is accursed you know so that had to be in their minds but yet they're seeing him doing yep. all this priestly stuff from the cross yep and then yep. when the resurrection happens it begins to make sense and then he's he's telling them what he's going to do when he ascends into heaven and they see him being taken up into heaven and they're like like the passage of scripture says, they're just stuck there looking at him, and the angel said, "Hey, you, get busy." <laughs> what are you guys doing? Well, they just appear next to him. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Can you just imagine that they're kind of sitting there, maybe maybe chewing their gum, they chew, or maybe had a toothpick, or maybe they maybe they even had a cup of coffee. Who knows? And they're just like, "What are you guys doing?" <laughs> you know. And just, just how my brain works. I'm not saying that that's how it is. I'm not adding to scripture. All you people think that I'm a heretic. I'm adding to scripture. I'm not. I'm just in my mind having a little fun with it. Well, who's to say that angels don't have some cowboy hats on? Uh, we don't know. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Maybe they were just spinning. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, Lee, come on, you know. So, uh, what's, what, what eschatological impact does the ascension have on us? Oh. <sighs> Man, yeah, we're gonna go there. Two two passages of scripture, and Curtis, I'm gonna ask you to. We read this already, but I want you to go back and really highlight this again. Acts chapter one verse eleven, because oh the, there's two things about the ascension. There's a lot of other things we can mention, and maybe because we're gonna talk about in in our last regular uh, port episode on the Christology. Again, we have two special ones uh, on Christology we're going to do after after the fact. So we've got actually three more podcasts on Christology yet to come, two being the specials. Um, but our next session is going to be on the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we're going to tinker in that whole field of eschatology for a little bit. But we, yeah. but, but the ascension actually plays into the eschatology, certain aspects. And again, we may come back and revisit this next week when we talk about the second coming of Christ. And in fact, I have a strong feeling we probably will, uh, just to refresh your yeah. minds. But read again Acts chapter 1, verse 11, because there's something very critical about the ascension that we need to remember. Acts one eleven. Yeah, I'm going to go to... 10 and then into 11 so you kind of get the flow of it it says and while they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood by them in white robes and said men of galilee why do you stand looking into heaven this jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven catch the last part of that just as he left from the Mount of yeah. Olives, so he shall return. When he returns, it's going to be at that point. Yep. That he's coming back down just as he left to go back up. Uh, as he left up, he's going to come back down. It's going to come at that point. Now, why the Mount of Olives? 
Why would Jesus ascend into heaven from that point? Well, let's look at another passage of Scripture. Zechariah chapter yep. 14. Yeah, I bet you knew I was going Yeah, here. buddy. <laughs> Man, I can't wait for that. <laughs> so let me go ahead and just go back to verse 1. Verse 1 through 4, to put this in perspective. Look, the Word of God says, a day belonging to the Lord is coming. And folks, I, I want to just, I know we're going a little over here, but I want you just to really take time to really listen to this passage of Scripture. So I'm going to read it kind of slowly. Just get the emphasis. Look, a day belonging to the Lord is coming when the plunder taken from you will be divided in your presence. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. That's a terrible picture that we just saw. Mm-hmm. But then, the Lord, the Yahweh, will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives. Now, where did Jesus ascend from? The Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, Zechariah says, will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that half the mountain will move to the north and half will move to the south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountain will extend to Azal. You will flee as you fled. I'm going on a little bit past this. As uh, flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah, mm-hmm. then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Let me read one more verse here. Mm. Two, well, two more verses. Actually, I tell you what, let me, let's just take this down just a little bit longer. On that day yep. there will be no light. The sunlight and moonlight will diminish. It will be a unique day known only to the Lord without day or night, but there will be light at evening. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea in summer and winter alike. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone and his name alone. Just as Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, folks, he's coming back. And when he does, watch out. I, I do definitely we'll believe. We'll know it. We'll, we'll, know, we'll it. know it. It's not going to sneak up on us. <laughs> but notice notice here. Notice here he says that when he comes, he's bringing all the holy ones with him. Right. I believe, and, and, and I don't know if we'll hit on this next week or maybe we'll save it for our series on eschatology. I do definitely believe that there is a pattern set forth in Scripture where God rescues His people before great calamity comes. You see it with Noah and the ark. He got the holy people on the boat when judgment came. You see Lot was removed from Sodom and Gomorrah before the judgment came. You see, you see this happening in several different places. God you know, removed the people from Egypt. Uh, of course, there were judgments that came beforehand. 
I believe this time of tribulation is not for the people of God. I think it's a time of judgment that's coming upon the earth. And Christ, I believe, will redeem and rescue the people. And then when he comes down, he's going to have the holy ones with him. He's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. And when he does, what we just read is going to take place. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's not going to be like this, This, you know, <laughs> long hair, you know, blue-eyed Jesus. No, 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 no. Flames of this fire. Dude's gonna, this dude's going to be tatted up. He's going to be a bad dude. You ain't going to want to mess with him. Well, eyes like fire, we see. Yep. Uh, you yep. know, this guy he speaks. Yeah. And when he talks about the sword coming from his mouth, he speaks. Yeah. And things happen. Um, this just, is going just like to be... just like just like when he was arrested on uh, it, it, on the Mount of Olives, and when they arrested him, they came in and arrested him. the The soldiers came up and 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 grabbed him and said that they're they're coming after Jesus of Nazareth, and and are you him? And he says, "I am." And they fall and over back. Fell back. <laughs> it just fell back. Just, I mean. And then they get back up and go to grab him again. It's like, hey, dummy, that same thing you just had happen. When I hear, here's something interesting here to mention as well. Something fascinating. It's believed that the Messiah will enter in through Jerusalem through the eastern gates. Now, that's very important yeah. because, remember, when the Spirit of God came into the temple, it came through the eastern yeah. gate, flooded right, right in, they empowered the temple from the Mount of Olives into the eastern gate. When the Spirit of God came at Pentecost, I about believe that he probably did the same thing. The Spirit of God came into, perhaps even through the eastern gate, into the upper room, rested on the people like seven flames of tongues of fire, rested on the people, and they were empowered with the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, right now, well, back in the Ottoman Empire, I believe is when they rocked in the eastern gate to keep the Messiah from coming. Listen for a moment. Right. If he has the power to say something and it happens, do you not think <laughs> that he has the power to, yeah. to speak and melt those bricks away and walk right through those gates, just as is mentioned? Well, yeah, and the, and the Muslims have planted a um, a gravesite there now. Really? And so, yeah, and so there's graves all over that all over that site with the, with the with the gate eastern gate being all blocked off concreted in you, you don't think that there's going to be something going on there i mean what he said he's, he conquered he conquered death i mean it's not like you know if there's saints of god there they'll maybe risen from the dead so there's not going to be dead people there <laughs> if they are yeah i don't know yep. <laughs> just move the tombs yep. yeah it's going to get quite interesting so well, there you have it, folks. Um, hold on. Buckle up. It's going to get uh, a little crazy here coming up, and uh, it's going to be really deep and good information. We're going to have some fun with it, and uh, and I just I want everybody to enjoy and, and uh, dig in with us and, and take in the scripture that we do have. I know we're going to have it on the show notes, so go ahead and dig through those scriptures and, and follow along with us, and even just maybe do your own Bible study just looking at the stuff that we've already pulled, pulled up and 
and just think think deeply of the stories of the of the of your engagement with the scriptures and some of the pictures and some of the stuff that have been painted um through the words on the ink on that on that bible so we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time our prayers at this podcast have stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, those are on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. This is Brian Chilton with Bellator Christie Podcast with your theology thought for the week. The other night, my family and I were outdoors and we were enjoying the night sky. And we just so happened to look up and found Orion's Belt, the constellation uh, of the southern sky, the, uh, the Sirius star, uh, the, the bear, and, um, and other constellations like Pleiades, the star cluster, and many other things in the night sky. It's interesting to consider that in the Bible, some of these constellations and stars, these other solar systems, have been mentioned in times past. For instance, in Job 9.9, says, He makes the stars, the bear, Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the southern sky. Job 38.31 says, Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Amos 5.8 says, The one who made the Pleiades and Orion who turns darkness into dawn and darkens day into night, who summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. It's an amazing thing to consider that these constellations, these stars, these solar systems of times past were recognized by the biblical writers and they were ascribed to the God who made all things. As we look at our world, we're filled with great anxiety over the things that have happened and the things that could happen. But just remember that the God who created the stars, the galaxies, the star clusters and constellations is the God who made you and I. He is the same God who is the Lord over history and the Lord over all things. And as we have learned in this podcast today and the ones forthcoming, God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit They are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we are right with the Lord, then what truly do we have to worry about? So keep looking up 
Keep focusing upon His promises and rely upon His strength. And remember, He has us in the palm of His hand. If we can trust in the Lord and have that relationship with Him, then again, we really have nothing to worry about. So keep the faith, keep strong in the faith, keep looking toward Him. This is just a thought to consider as we close out the Bellator Christie podcast this week. Again, this is Brian Chilton with a Theology Thought of the Week here on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations or essential human equality or basic human rights? We aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor. In the process, we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality. In June of 2022, we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics, a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument, a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, moralapologetics.com. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. <laughs>